What's going on, sports fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Semi-Athletic Sportscast, where two semi-professional sports aficionados hop on their soapboxes talking about the achievements of actual professionals. As always, I'm your host, JT, and joining me from the beautiful Helena, Montana, is the man, the myth, the legend himself, the man known as the gingerbread man, the ginger ninja, Mr. Agent Orange himself, my man, KC Kempson Cross. How's it going, dude? Oh, I can't complain uh, about, I guess, life in general, but uh, I still feel like that intro is a little overwritten, man. Yeah, nah. You know, I, I got to bloviate occasionally, man, and like really, really play it up. Uh, occasionally? Just occasionally. You know, it, it is it is what I am, I you know, and it's what I do. I inflate my own ego and the egos of the people around me. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a while. Uh, we didn't quite get it recorded last week, I know, and that just kind of things fell through. We were intending to do so, but it just didn't end up happening, and I was out of town for half the week anyway, especially going into the weekend. So anyway, it just worked out to where here we are on the following Thursday, and we're going to finally talk about Super Bowl 54, which, I mean, to some extent, lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was a bummer we couldn't get things put together last week. We were both pretty busy. Um, I had job interview stuff going on um, along with my normal sort of – day-to-day activities I guess would be the best way to put it and then on the weekend Kempson was gone for a couple days and then I was gone and now we're here but I think I think in the long run it's going to work out because it really gave me a week to kind of really digest the Super Bowl and actually go back and watch it for a second time which was good because the first time um, I went up to uh, we call it the space station it's one of my buddy's cigar lounges up in Hamilton um, it was a great time. Um, great friends. We watched Scarface before the game. Um, but watching it in a room with some people that really don't know a lot about football, to be totally honest, just in the sense that like they have no idea what's going on and just want to poke fun at everybody for you know rooting for a team, or in my case, who ended up having money on the game. Um, I had a friendly bet with a guy that I ended up winning that I kind of got cajoled into making, but it all worked out. Um, but it was just an interesting way to watch the game. And I don't feel like I really paid as close attention as I would have liked. So I actually had the chance to, um, I found a replay of it somewhere on, t- on our direct TV at the cigar club and nobody was down there. So I rewatched most of the game, which was good. Yeah. As I mentioned, I was home with my family of origin watching the game itself and it was a pretty enjoyable experience i mean we all were rooting for the 49ers pretty much so obviously that being in a room that was on your side was completely on your side was uh was enjoyable there were we were very frustrated by the end of the game obviously just very disappointed with the result but also it seemed like and I've thought about this a lot since then, and I've also read some articles, like entire articles written on this topic. It seemed like a lot, pretty much all of the breaks, especially with officiating and stuff, went the Chiefs' way. So that was very frustrating to be on that end. And it was also different to be a fan of the team that's going against the team that is breaking a championship drought of a tremendous length. Like, 
it wasn't like that for me with the Cubs, for example, or, or anything like that. Actually, to some extent, it was I was on the winning side of that with the San Francisco Giants in baseball several years ago. And so to be actively rooting for your favorite team to continue a championship drought was a very interesting uh position to be in and you know i'm happy that andy reed got his ring i think that damian williams should have been the game mvp when it was all said and done but i understand why patrick mahomes got that honor but i mean i was happy for the chiefs but there were a lot of mixed feelings you know um and and some of those we talked about before in the preview but like i said just being on the losing end of snapping a tremendous championship drought this historic moment for the chiefs being on the losing end of that was was an interesting position to be in. And also, like I said, it seemed like the 49ers couldn't catch a break for much of the after afternoon and evening. And some of that was due to self-inflicted wounds. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, congratulations to the Chiefs. And, and uh, it's cool to have their drought done. And maybe even we'll see if they've launched a dynasty here. Yeah, I think and we'll get into all the storylines and all of that stuff. But... Yeah, it was interesting for me because, like, I didn't really care. Like, I had some frustrations over the Niners mostly because, like, a lot and a lot of it just comes down to, like, a lot of the conversation going on around the game was just starting to grate on my nerves by the time it was all said and done. Um, but I didn't really have a horse in the race until, you know, I ended up betting 20 bucks on the game with a guy at the Cigar Club um, just because I had been expounding on how I thought the Chiefs were probably hadn't – I felt like there were more ways for the Chiefs to win that game. Um, I think we talked about that on this podcast, and I just kind of had a feeling that that's how it was going to go was, you know, Chiefs were going to pull it out. And Charlie kind of cajoled me into making a bet with him, so it, it got down to the point where I just wanted to beat Charlie. I didn't even really care who won the game. I just wanted to beat Charlie because Charlie's kind of uh, – he's a little full of himself and likes to – likes to brag and be a little ridiculous about when he wins things. So being able to kind of be like, Oh, I beat you, Charlie and make him, you know, not only pay me the 20 bucks, but buy me lunch was a great feeling. So that was good. Um, but yeah, I guess let's just die. I mean, basically the what's on the agenda for this podcast today is we're literally just going to talk about the Super Bowl. Um, and then at the end, I'm going to kind of, I think we're going to preview a little bit about what is coming for the future of this podcast now that football season's over um, and what to kind of expect coming next. But let's just get right into the game. So obviously Super Bowl 54, the Chiefs 31, the San Francisco 49ers 20. Kempson, first and foremost, what are your kind of gut reactions to this game as you were watching it? You know, what was going through your head when the game was over um, outside of kind of the stuff you already touched on? I guess it depends on on how <laughs> on how you're asking. Like as through the course of the game, I felt like in, in the first quarter, it was a pretty even game. I mean, the Chiefs had the upper hand on the scoreboard and I felt like they had the upper hand uh, just in general in the in the game, especially in the first quarter and for part of the second quarter as well, especially after the interception by Jimmy Garoppolo early in the relatively early in the second quarter. I mean, but it was close, though. It was close. It, it didn't feel like a runaway. You know what I mean? It felt very close at that point, but I felt like the momentum was ever so slightly in favor of the Chiefs. Absolutely, especially with the I would call it a championship type of drive. It, 
even though it was in the first quarter, like that 15 play touchdown drive that it featured the fourth down conversion and like the little trick play where they like three of the chiefs spun around in the backfield and stuff like that, that was inspired by the Rose bowl back in the forties or whatever. Like, I mean, just some of that, it was just like, you, there was undeniably a lot of energy behind the chiefs. And that was clear from before the kickoff and after. And, and we talked about how explosive they are and how, you wouldn't be able to count them out until the clock hit zeros. And so that was always in the back of my mind. Honestly, though, like in the third quarter, once the once the 49ers went up, I was like, wow, this could actually happen. But at the same time, I was fully aware that the Chiefs had come back from down 10, at least 10 in each of their playoff victories. So I was like, OK, well, this is sure isn't over. But as long as the 49ers, sometimes despite their efforts, or despite their lack of effort in some cases, this can still happen. I, I think I wasn't alone in feeling that, especially as a someone who had a dog in the fight and was cheering for the for San Francisco. But I mean, it's there were ebbs and flows. It was it was a really overall I felt like a really good game. I, I don't know where it ranks all time. I would have to put a little more thought into that. I don't think I would put it number one by any means, but it could maybe weasel its way into into the top 10 or so of of all timers i don't know that's that's kind of a conversation we can have a little bit later on but yeah so 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 a couple of things um i think it's interesting that you point out that you were nervous that you know we all knew the chiefs had come back from down 10 repeatedly um just because i think it was was it aikman that said repeatedly that Ah, the Chiefs got them right where they want them over and over and over again in the fourth quarter until they finally yeah, started to I come back. Yeah, I think he was being sarcastic, um, but that didn't make it any better. Can we talk about how ridiculous of a statement that is? That's just a ridiculous statement. I think he was trying a li- to be like little inject a little Tony Romo flavor into his commentary maybe Yeah, there. but but the thing is is like Tony Romo at least has a sense for the game. You know, and like has a little bit of urgency with Aikman. He's like, ah, they just got right where they want him. It's like, no, they don't. They're down 10 in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. That's not where you want to be. You want to be the team up 10. I don't care who you are. The 49ers could have been up by a little more if they play their cards differently. And I would argue better at the end of the first half where they ended up getting an offensive pass interference that I felt was ticky tack that cost them points at the end of the first half, but no timeout after they stopped the chiefs drive that stalled out at midfield. I mean, that was a lot of the conversation after the game as well. I mean, just during the game, during the halftime, that was a main topic of conversation was like, what are you doing? You can't take your timeouts home with you. And I I saw some of the conversation as well that kind of to a lot of people or several people seem to indicate Kyle Shanahan may not, entirely trust Jimmy Garoppolo that was kind of the impression that that some people got from that and I could see that I mean Kyle Shanahan made some questionable decisions on on Sunday and uh, obviously everybody wants to pile on and and make it into this this career defining narrative that he chokes in the Super Bowl I mean he's been there at least he's he's at least been there twice and you you I, I understand why people want to do that. I think that's more hot take culture than it is anything else, to be honest. I, at the same time, I feel that 
There were times where both Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo were not good enough on Sunday, and that's essentially why the 49ers ended up losing in the end. All right, so let's break this down for a second. So first off, I, I think you know me well enough to know that like, unless something happens in the, la- in, like, the fourth quarter of a game where points are taken off the board, I'm not one to be to immediately claim that like, well, they would have scored more points. Well, theoretically, yes, but like with what happened at the end of the first half, like you have, we have no way of knowing that that's exactly how the second half would have played out. Given the fact that the entire circumstances of the game in the second half would have changed. The chiefs would have been farther behind and might've been playing with a little more urgency going into the second half, which could have changed the entire game complexion in, of, of the game in a way that like I feel bad for Niners fans because I do think the Kittle pass interference was I don't want to say ticky tacky because that doesn't feel completely right because it, it definitely looked like the right call but it's not a call I would be making in the Super Bowl and I think there's a difference between something being a weak call it like ticky tacky, it could go either way, and just a call you shouldn't make in the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like I think those are, in my mind, those are two different things. That like in the Super Bowl, I want players to be allowed to play out, and unless it's egregious, put the flag in your pocket or shove it up your rear end because I don't want those flags on the field unless it's egregious. Yeah, that's, that's just me. No, and I totally agree with with what you're saying there. I mean. I'll, I'll put my bias as aside as much as I can here because people were making comparisons to the Kyle Rudolph catch in overtime in new Orleans. I don't know that it's, it's, I don't know that that's, it, it, it is the same deal. Well, it's different officiating but, crews too. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of variables that go into that. And the reason I say that it costs San Francisco points and cost them the lead going into halftime is because that was maybe the biggest play for either team up to that point and also it put San Francisco in field goal range and Robbie Gold had already made at least made one field goal that day and so that's why I say it literally took points off the board and yes I am extrapolating a little bit uh, with that but I'm comfortable in saying that the, the 49ers would have been up 13 to 10 at halftime and who knows how the rest of it plays out but I, I understand your argument there but at the same time, the Chiefs won by 11. So, I mean, it would have made three points of difference. And the, it, if everything is the same going down the stretch, not saying it would be, the Chiefs still win the game. So it's it's not it's not the end-all, be-all by any means. I mean, I think the bigger thing for me is, like, we could sit here and play the what-if games, and it might not change anything. It might have changed everything. We have no way of knowing. Is For me, like most of that responsibility falls on Kyle Shanahan for not calling a timeout. What the hell are you doing? Like I, I firmly subscribe to the kid playing Madden rules <laughs> or theorem that if a kid playing Madden would call a timeout and knows to call a timeout because it's proper clock management, an NFL coach should know to call a timeout and get, have a chance to score. I, it's one of the my biggest frustrations with that entire game was Kyle Shanahan for whatever reason not calling a timeout. I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like, I know five year olds that know how to call a timeout. There, like, what are you doing? And I don't mean to armchair quarterback it too much, but there are times where like 
in my head, I see something and I'm like, okay, I don't understand why you're, why you are doing that. And that not calling the timeout is one of them. And I want an explanation. And it's one of the biggest things that drives me nuts about the NFL is you will never get an explanation from Kyle Shanahan about why he didn't call a timeout. Like we're never going to get it. And I would, I would love to know the thinking because if, if my thinking is wrong, I want to know. Like the NFL should not be like, it's calling it. This is not like revealing a play call. This is revealing why you didn't call a timeout. Like you're not giving anything away like at all by telling us why you didn't call the timeout. You know what I mean? I get, I hear what you're saying. And part of the irony of the situation as well is they literally showed a replay of John Lynch, the general manager of the same team making the timeout signal in his luxury box. I, if that doesn't, speak volumes i don't know what does it's just weird because like and the funny thing is ironically is that bad clock management wasn't committed by andy reed in this <laughs> game it was committed by the other coach which is a traumatic bit of irony be considering the fact that andy reed is notorious for bad clock management like just horrible clock and he's gotten better at it the last couple seasons but it is it is it, the irony there is is not lost on me at all and honestly i think you know, bad clock management is like, there are two things that like I lay at the feet of Kyle Shanahan in this game. And that's bad clock management at the end of the first half. And it felt like to me later in the game. And this is the same thing that he did in the, in when the Falcons blew the lead to the Patriots was they got ahead. And then it felt like Kyle didn't want to like, didn't want to put the throat on on the opponent, like they, or his foot on the throat of the opponent, excuse me. He didn't want to end the game because he was afraid of, you know, he got conservative and he got away from doing what was winning him the game in the first place. And obviously the chiefs started making some plays. Um, but to me, it really felt like after they got that lead, that, that 10 point lead they had, that the play calling started to change a little bit. And that's like, those are the two biggest complaints I have with Kyle Shanahan and this entire game that can be laid at his feet. And I think that really, I think those two things really can sum up the biggest mistakes the 49ers made outside of maybe the Jimmy G picks. But I don't know. I felt like the the 49ers had a good game plan. They just couldn't quite pull it off. And to me, it felt like coaching scared was almost built into it because Shanahan did say after the game that, he was thinking about the electric offense of the chiefs when he was making that decision to let the clock still run. And I was, and I'm, and I hear that and I, I understand that perspective, but at the same time, what about taking the fight to your opponent? Like I, I know it's again, like we don't want to armchair quarterback it too much, but it's, it it just felt to me like kind of coaching scared a couple times. And that was one of the most egregious examples of it. And I don't like that just as a sports fan, as, as a, just as a person, I, I, it's not, I'm not a fan of that, especially in, in sports. And, and that's the thing. It, It just seemed like almost not going for the kill shot. It, it, it did feel like the 49ers were kind of coaching in a way that let the Chiefs dictate a lot more of the game than was necessary. That's what I'm trying to kind of say in a roundabout way is that it just felt like they were letting the Chiefs 
dictate more of the game than than they were seeking to if that makes sense like and i get it i i get being yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i get being wary of mahomes and the chiefs offense but at the same time it's like okay if you truly believe in your team is that really putting your best foot forward if you believe that you're the head coach like that's your prerogative but i i didn't like it like you know as on a subjective basis so so let me let me take this. I have, I actually just came up with a really good analogy for this. Did you happen to watch the Conor McGregor Nate Diaz two fight when they fought after Nate choked him out in the first fight? Did you ever see that fight? I think I did. That's where they were both pretty bloody by the end, right? Yeah, yeah. but if you remember, if you pay attention in that fight really closely, and I guess before I before I actually set the, lay that out and set the stage for what happened in that fight, let me. What, what I'm trying to say here is there's a difference between coaching smart and coaching scared. Yeah. So in the in the Conor McGregor fight with Nate Diaz, Conor in the first, I think, two or three rounds, I can't remember exactly the timeline of events here because I haven't watched the fight too recently, dropped Nate Diaz a couple of times in every one of those rounds. Hit him with some real hard left hands, and Nate Diaz hits the ground. Connor knows that Nate Diaz is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners on the planet. No, you're right. I remember this. I, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So Connor, instead of chasing Diaz to the ground and instead of, you know, trying to land ground and pound and go for the kill shot on the ground and risk putting himself where the opponent wanted him and getting submitted, Connor smartly lets Nate get back up, plays the long game and wins the fight. Right? That's... That's coaching slash fighting smart, right? Understanding what your opponent is good at and not putting yourself in a position to have to deal with that. With what happened with Shanahan, on the other hand, and the 49ers in this game was they understand what the Chiefs do well. But the thing is, is that as long as you do your job and and go and get the points at the end of the first half or don't take your foot off the gas in the second half and stop, like, and what I mean by that in the second half is Especially in the fourth quarter, it felt like to me the 49ers really got away from the passing game, especially the play-action game. They really didn't want it in Jimmy G's hands as much as possible. But that's what made him special and was working for the first three quarters of the game. Coaching scared to me is realizing that, you know, that you are trying to cover up your weaknesses so hard and, and for fear of losing that that ultimately catches up to you and beats you. Had you just kept doing what was working for you, which was run, run, play action, maybe play action, run, play action, you know, like keeping the ball moving and throwing the ball and threatening with the play action, the Chiefs defense, I don't think would have been able to tee off like they did in the fourth quarter. And that's just me. And that's what I mean by coaching scared is that you really start to get away from your game plan because you're too afraid to give the team the other team any modicum of of momentum and that and I think momentum was a big thing especially in the fourth quarter was you could feel the when the Chiefs scored that to I think to make it what 2017 you could feel the momentum start to shift you could feel it yeah, even before that, because a lot of a lot of momentum was on San Francisco's side. Sorry not to cut you off, but a lot of momentum was on San Francisco's side because some of the breaks they did get, they didn't get a lot of them. The Chiefs got a lot more than they did, I felt, but some of the breaks that they did get were a couple of interceptions off of Patrick Mahomes, which I didn't expect them to get. I didn't expect them to intercept Patrick Mahomes on Super Bowl Sunday. 
and especially with the Warner pick, which was like a Jameis Winston interception, it almost looked like, off off the arm of Patrick Mahomes. It was a miscommunication partially with Tyreek Hill that caused it, but he threw it to a linebacker when he was going for Tyreek Hill. And so that, that just doesn't seem to happen. And and then you have the tip drill interception, which wasn't entirely Mahomes' fault either, that, that Moore ended up with for the 49ers. And so right there it was like, wow, the 49ers have all this momentum and they just need to go down and and – do something with it. And on that drive, I think I might be tracking with you as far as, and and there was a missed offsides on, on the ensuing drive after the tip drill interception, which didn't help matters. But at the same time, the, the 49ers got away from that run game that had gotten them to a second and manageable. They called a two straight pass plays that, that didn't uh, entirely make sense because of how strong their run game had been where whether it was with Debo Samuel on some of the jet sweep action and stuff like that, or it was Raheem Mostert going into the heart of the defense, it, it was still working. And and it just seemed like they they did kind of flinch a little bit, and that was all the room that the Chiefs needed in the fourth quarter. Well, and the big thing is, too, is that, like, the, the 49ers are built much like, you know, and I'm really familiar with this as a Packer fan because the Packers offense is built much the same way on balance. Like if if you were to if you were to give me one word to describe 49, the 49ers offense, um, that wasn't a commentary on Kyle Shanahan's ability as a play caller, the word I would choose is balance because they are very well balanced between, you know, the run and the pass. They know how to use each other to set them up, right? So you use the run to set up the pass, and then in turn the pass starts to set up the run. The run sets up the play action, and it really just starts to open up your playbook, right? The thing that I really noticed as it came as we got later into the game is the 49ers balance and their started to get all out of whack where it felt like a lot of runs there wasn't a lot of passing really jammed into the game and maybe I maybe I'm just misremembering but the thing was too is you didn't see a lot of the really creative play calling I you didn't see a lot of the wild jet sweep actions and a lot of that stuff that really kept the Chiefs defense on its toes or playing back on its heels, excuse me. It all just kind of, it, it really felt like they, they their offense turned flat. And I think it's because they got away from the balance where at times they got way too run heavy and at other times they got way too pass heavy. And it just was one of those things where you have a game plan, and if it's working, you stick to it. Like, not to keep using MMA analogies, but if if you're if you have a game plan, you know, if you watched Kamaru Usman when he fought Colby Covington a little over oh, what a month and a half ago at the end of December, when you watch that fight, Usman had a game plan, and they both didn't want to take each other down. But his game plan was: you're going to stick and move, and you're going to hit him with combinations. You're going to be faster. You're not going to land a ton of power shots, but after a while, it's going to add up. He started to really have a lot of success, but rather than going away from the game plan when he was probably up four rounds to one going or three rounds to one going into the fifth, he just stuck to the game plan. When the game plan works, stick to the game plan. Yes, the other team can adjust. Yes, the other teams, you know, the game plan can't work 100% of the time in football. You know, barring something crazy like you're playing the Browns versus, you know, some college football team where the skill gap is so big. You know, your game plan is not going to be successful 100% of the time. But just because the the situation in the game changes 
because you're so much farther ahead doesn't mean you got to get away from the game plan. You know what I mean? The only time you should abandon your game plan is if it's not working. If you're already coaching scared, it's easier to panic. Yeah, I mean, and it just shows you, like, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs were living rent-free in the 49ers' heads. Like, especially with if that Kyle Shanahan quote about, yeah, we didn't want to, especially at the end of the first half, was we don't want to give the ball back to them. They're living rent-free in your head. You know, that's not a good place to be. (laughs) Not a good place to be at all. Now, credit where credit is due to the Chiefs. They were able to take advantage of the 49ers' missteps and also some favorable favorable officiating, I would argue, as well. There were a couple – I don't know if there was a single holding call called all game, which I kind of like unless it's abundantly obvious, like on uh, third and 15 in the fourth quarter where uh, it's now the now famous play where Tyree kill is somehow makes a catch on a bomb from Mahomes. Nick Bosa, the what Eric Fisher did, did to Nick Bosa is illegal in many States on that play. Like as far as how, badly that he was held on that play and that was not the only play where there were yeah yeah yeah. he was you you go to prison for that (laughs) i don't think i'm being biased when i say that and i mean it's it's just a fact or at least it's a it's a truth claim but and at the same time i mean if the chiefs don't take advantage of all those breaks then we're talking about how they choked away the game so credit where credit's due, the Chiefs may have gotten a lot of breaks that the 49ers didn't down the stretch, but the fact is they took advantage of them, and that's why they're the Super Bowl champions. That's And I'm totally comfortable in saying that. Also, like I said, Damian Williams had the two biggest touchdowns of the entire day, and that's why I would make an argument that he should be the most valuable player. But I also, like I said, understand, even though Mahomes for – three quarters or so was playing maybe his worst game as a professional he ended up bringing his team back from the brink and so that's why he gets the mvp award so so let's let's take a time out here let's set the mvp conversation off to the side because i want to touch that in a second uh, okay. a couple of things about about the breaks that the chiefs got yeah there were some bad calls um as a packer fan like i've i've been on the other side of a lot of this where especially you know i can go back to the Cardinals Packers um, divisional playoff game. Uh, I can't remember what year it was off the top of my head for whatever reason, but Clay Matthews is coming off the edge and he gets egregiously held on that crazy Larry Fitzgerald. I'm going most of the way to the house, like 60 yard play where he breaks like six tackles. Like I've been there. I've seen it. I understand it's frustrating in the moment because it's like, yeah, that call should have been made, but at the end of the day, the refs are human and didn't make it. Whether they didn't see it or whatever happened, yes, it sucks. But at the end of the day, you have to look at it and you have to. Part of being a champion is being able to overcome that. And for me, the way I look at it is, a lot of people I've heard online are saying, "Well, the Chiefs got lucky." Well, all all the cheat all all luck is in a lot of situations, unless you're playing the lottery or something, in which in which case, or like playing or gambling, playing those stupid poker machines, you know, but in real life outside of like gambling and things, all luck is, is when opportunity meets preparation. That's all luck is. And being able to capitalize on the opportunity because of your preparation and the chiefs, the chiefs did that. And 
hats off to him because you know that's all that that's what you have to do to win a game. You know, it's 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 what it takes to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, they got some breaks go their way and the 49ers didn't, but that's the nature of football. You have to learn to overcome that. You know, it's it's the nature of the beast unfortunately. You know, it's not it's like I always say, you know, if stuff happens within the last 2 minutes of a game where things get out of hand where you get like an egregiously bad call um, or something that, you know, like what happened to the saints. Um, but every, a lot of the things that happened before that is like, you've got time. You just have to buckle down, bite down on your mouthpiece. If you're, you know, if you're an offensive lineman or whoever you are, bite down on the mouthpiece and be, get ready to get back in there and get to work because that's as, that's what it takes to be a champion, you know, and that's as simple as that. Yeah, and your definition of luck is spot on for the most part, and that's kind of where what I've talked about, I think, before the golden horseshoe thing comes from. Like I, I've talked about before how the the golden horseshoe is something that especially my brother and I uh, – just kind of throw out there when something super lucky happens for a team, especially if there's like this habit of a lot of super lucky things happening for a team. Like the Seahawks are one of those, the Patriots are one of those, but they're also two of the teams that you least like to go against because they are going to take every, take advantage, full advantage of every single opportunity that comes their direction. And that is part of being lucky quote unquote is the never say die attitude and all that. And and that's that's part of that that is part of it, it you know it's it's just uh, that that's kind of part of where that comes from as well is is like if a team's really lucky we basically you know throw the golden horseshoe thing out there because obviously horseshoes are lucky if it's gold it's probably a little more lucky and that actually comes it's a it's a NASCAR reference to this driver named Kevin Harvick that was talking about Jimmy Johnson who had a stretch of five straight championships and had some luck along the way there and anyway that's from from several years ago now, but uh, my brother and I have kind of applied it to other sports as well. And like I said, the chiefs kind of had the golden horseshoe effect going on the Patriots and Seahawks have had it for years. And it's annoying when you're going against those teams, especially I, I do agree with your definition of luck for the most part, as far as opportunity uh, preparation. All, all I'm going to say is all I gathered out of that conversation is that the Seahawks are the goonies that's 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 what I got out of that. Well, explain, please. So you said you know the Seahawks and the Patriots have that never say die attitude. Well, well, you you know what they say in the Goonies: the Goonies never say die. Honestly, that's probably where that expression mostly comes from, which I didn't even realize. It's true, but I'm just now picturing Pete Car- Pete Carroll is officially sloth in my book, and uh, that's that image is never leaving <laughs> my mind. Well, maybe that's another. Uh, Maybe that's another potential spinoff episode we can do in the coming months, but uh, we'll figure that out later. NFL coaches as movie characters? I like this idea. (laughs) This should happen. As far as Super Bowl MVP, though, you said you had some thoughts on that. I think, like I said, and the the first Damian Williams touchdown wasn't without controversy either, but as far as, you know, it was that thing where his his foot was on the line but the ball was basically at the pylon and then of course it's it's a meme now of Richard Sherman's face being in the dirt uh, right next to him as he's trying to extend across the, the right next to Williams as she, as he's trying to extend across the goal line but anyway uh, there was that as well but there was no doubt on the second touchdown and you know 
I don't know. It's I understand why Mahomes got the award, but there's a compelling case to be made for Damian Williams. Kind of like when the Patriots had their epic comeback and James White, you could make an argument, could have been the, the most valuable player in that game. So so this is what I have to say about this is like, to be quite frank, I don't give a damn who wins Super Bowl MVP. Um, I didn't gamble on it. Uh, I don't know anybody that did um, other than Mahomes was the favorite. So congratulations, probably most of you out there. I will say this, that for me, like, yeah, Mahomes didn't have a good game up until the fourth quarter when it was like, all right, it's Patrick Mahomes time. Um, and what I wanted to say in the in the wake of all this MVP stuff is that, like, you know, you heard me talk a couple minutes ago about the heart of a champion where it's like, you know, you've got to respond in the face of advers- adversity. And that's what Mahomes did. He got punched in the mouth hard and got dropped a couple of times and he came back swinging and managed to pull it out. And that impresses the hell out of me, which is why he would have been my MVP is that like his turnaround and able to, you know, put the past behind him of what had been happening in the game and turn it around and be like, okay, it's my time. It's my time to make plays. What happened before doesn't matter. This is who I am going forward. We're going to win this damn game was impressive that's why I would have given him the MVP it it was close between him and Damian Williams like I get both arguments and I would have been happy with either one but Mahomes's ability to kind of roll with the punches and take the abuse and still find a way to win is nothing short of impressive and I think is really telling for the rest of his career because you've seen a lot of guys like that come through the league that you know are flashes in the pans and then they're gone and they're never the same. And Mahomes is starting to show me that, you know, I, I, I compare a lot of the being able to put the interceptions behind you and get out there and just ball out a lot to Brett Favre because Brett Favre was very much that way. He, you know, he'd make a lot of really good plays, but there was always one or two dumb plays a, a week. And Mahomes has got that in him where it's like, yeah, I made a mistake, but I'm going to get right back out there on that horse and I'm going to go win this damn game is impressive and I think is really is a really good sign for his career going forward on the flip side of that you know you heard me last week talk about or two weeks ago before the game talk about how I had hinted that you know I wasn't sure how San Francisco was going to respond to getting punched in the mouth Um, and it turns out that punch to the mouth didn't come until late and they couldn't really respond. And I don't want to say that that's a narrative for their team going forward because I think it's a little premature for that. Um, whereas with the Mahomes stuff, you've seen it three or four times this year where they've been down and he's just like, I got the, I'm the dog. Let's go. Let's get this done. Um, whereas with the Niners, I think it's, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's something that should be a narrative that should be the defining factor or going forward, but it, it it is a narrative that I think we should keep an eye on because if it happens a couple more times, if it happens next year in some games, then I think you've got some concern. If Jimmy Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders and the 49ers go on to win that game, then Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the Super Bowl MVP. And the narrative is completely flipped on its head. And I, but I, I totally, that, that's a hypothetical. I totally agree with what you said about Patrick Mahomes as far as, and I think he's actually building a 
pretty solid stable of haters already, even though he seems to be pretty well liked. Uh, I think there's some there's some haters out there that think that people are trying to put him on a pedestal too fast. And I understand that argument, but I, I'm not going to be one of those haters that is like, oh, he played his worst game as a pro and just because they won the you know, he, he gets the award. Well, if he wasn't the quarterback of that team for all four quarters, they wouldn't have won that game. So it's a two-sided argument, and you can kind of flip the coin back and forth and, and study both sides. And I, I think my favorite part of what happened on Sunday was that Andy Reid finally got his ring, and he's actually going to be in the Hall of Fame now. I think you can pretty much book it at this point that he's actually going to get in there, which is good because he's one of the best coaches ever. I mean, to get to all the NFC championships he got to, to get to two Super Bowls, it takes so much to do that. And it just has kind of been taken for granted for years that he was going to like choke in the big game or whatever. It, but he's finally won the big one. And I think it's, it's better. Football is better off for it that he's eventually going to be in Canton. I mean, I think he was going to be in there regardless of what, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago too, that Reed for me was getting in regardless. Um, and I still believe that that's the case. I, I believe that that would have been the case, but He's, he's a lock now. He's as much of a lock as you can possibly have in the NFL for being a Hall of Famer as a coach. You know, I think of the current crop of NFL coaches, I think, you know, I think it'll be interesting. I'd actually love to pick your brain about this at some point, um, maybe not today, of, you know, which NFL coaches are Hall of Fame worthy because I think there's some really interesting conversations to be had, like Sean Payton, for instance. Um and I think the the most interesting one to me is Mike McCarthy, actually, because I I think he's a Hall of Famer, but there are a lot of people out there that vehemently disagree with me. But we'll save that topic for another day. But Reed, Reed is going to get in, and that's all there is to it at this point. And I felt the same way. I mean, some people probably thought he was missing a ring. I didn't think he actually needed it. I, I, th- I thought that he was already in there as far as sustained excellence for, what, two decades? And before that as an assistant, climbing the ladder and all that stuff. I mean, I, I already thought that – and, and there's, there's stuff out there about his coaching tree that is just tremendous throughout the entire National Football League and even beyond in football in general. And, and so that alone could probably get him in. But this is going to be the first entry on his resume now. And like I said, I think having him as a lock is is good for football. And, it, and it's like you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again, that that the purpose of the Hall of Fame is not only to highlight the best players, um, which is true, but it also it serves to tell the history of the league. Um, and that is one of the reasons why, I mean, you'll hear me beat the drum repeatedly that, you know, assuming it's good history, I mean... Like, for instance, you know, assume Sean Payton never won a Super Bowl, but you had, you know, Bounty Gate on his resume. Obviously, you're not going to put Sean Payton in the Hall of Fame just because of Bounty Gate, right? Because that's that's bad history. That's not the history you want to remember. But the Hall of Fame is supposed to, you know, should tell the story of the league, you know, should tell the story of how schemes came about and how... You know how different players have helped move and change the game. Like you hear me talk about this with Leroy Butler, where he was one of the real, if not the first real true hybrid safety that has become a real big part of modern football. A lot of that stems from Leroy Butler. 
and it's like the, the hall of fame for me, you know, the story of the NFL over the last two decades literally cannot be told without Andy Reid. He should have been in, but now with the Super Bowl when he will 100% get in because you know, his, his impact on the game of football and its story and its history is forever set in stone now because you know, that's just how that's, that's the unfortunate nature of us as sports fans is that if you don't win a championship to a lot of us, you're nothing and you can never have, you know, your, your contributions to the game are never, are never as great as others just because you never want a ring. But Andy got his ring and his story is going to go into the hall of fame. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a damn good thing. Another thing that I liked throughout the postseason was having, speaking of the hall of fame, having a cup, being able to see a couple of, you know, coaches like Bill Cowher, Jimmy Johnson find out on live television that they, they were inducted. Like all everything else aside, I actually thought that was really, really cool. And it, you know, it's, I know it's this special expanded class for, for the hundredth season or whatever and everything. But um, anyway, that was just something that uh, I really enjoyed from the course of the postseason that we got to see those, those moments because that's something you don't always get to see. And it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, first off, I totally thought before that Jimmy Johnson was in the hall of fame. Same. You know, I don't have every NFL hall of fame, hall of famer memorized. Uh, I could have swore he was already in. So that's just me. Um, Bill Cower was great. He deserves it. He was a hell of a coach. Um, I really, I've always really respected Bill Cower. So it's, it was cool. And I hope we see more of that. I hope, you know, I don't want it to become like where every, you know, cause every, every player that's could get inducted gets videoed, but I think it would be cool if, you know, we, we expand on the process to where the hall, I, and this is something I've actually been thinking about for a while that the hall of fame nominations and like induction should not happen all at once. You know, maybe once a year we have a ceremony but, you know, you hold a vote and I think that all of the announcements should be made throughout the year. So that way it's like, hey, you know, we've got, you know, in November at this game, we're going to have like, you know, hypothetically say Leroy Butler makes his return to Lambeau at the game. They should do something where they bring him out onto the field and make the announcement to Leroy and everybody else that he's going into the Hall of Fame, you know, which is going to happen Probably next year, Leroy will make the haul or do something where it's like he's going to pop up on ESPN to do commentary. And, oh, look, he's like find ways to like spread out the announcements of the Hall of Fame. So that way you can really surprise guys. You know what I mean? And then we can keep talking about it because I think one of the big problems with the Hall of Fame right now is that you just get a dump of all these guys that that are nominated or can get in. And you don't have the time to sit around and actually talk about every single one of them and really appreciate their greatness, especially for people like you and me who didn't grow up in the era of of when some of these players were still playing or coaching. You know, it's like Steve Atwater, the a longtime safety, um, still is a damn crime. He got in before Leroy Butler, but was a hell of a player. I never saw him play. I wasn't around when he was, you know, re- or really watching football when he was still active. So, you know, let's let's have our time to enjoy every person making the Hall of Fame and give them their moment and spread it the heck out. Yeah, I think that would that would actually be really cool. I mean, I honestly going forward, 
maybe another episode idea that I'll just throw out there for us is, is to kind of look at some of our favorite players looking back over the course of, of history who aren't in yet and that have the best cases for actually getting into Canton one day. But anyway, I, we'll talk about that off the air and stuff, obviously. But yeah, just as, as far as the Super Bowl, as far as the the Hall of Fame, as far as, you know, all the NFL honors stuff and st- and things that happen. It, it is it I, I see where where you're coming from with that like it seems like you know it seems to almost get lost in the hype train of the of the Super Bowl and uh, sometimes it, with the and and you just like it gets thrown out there as part of Super Bowl weekend like the Saturday before the Super Bowl or the Friday or whatever and then it's just it, it it's it's just too much it seems like I, I think it would be probably helpful especially since the nfl likes to dominate the entire news cycle for 12 months out of the year i think that could be uh, a better way to kind of try to accomplish that goal but yeah it's 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 all interesting and now we have you know football withdrawals of actual football until to look forward to until august and september so yeah or when you're me when i can go to grizz spring training in may or april and may so well and there's the XFL, which is not terrible. I mean, watching didn't watch sit down and watch any games start to finish, but watching some of the highlights and stuff, it it seems to it seems to be here to stay at least for a year or two. We'll see what happens, but it it, it seems to have gotten off on the right foot. It's gonna it's gonna be much better than the Alliance of American Football because the AAF, I mean, kind of ambushed me kind of out of nowhere last calendar year when they tried to tried to do it. I think the XFL actually has a little bit of staying power and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens as far as maybe it gets taken on as a minor league to the NFL, which I mean, the NFL probably isn't, I don't know. It doesn't seem super willing to share money like that, but that's kind of a tangent, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't pay super close attention to the XFL, but it seems to, to be kind of fun. And definitely not like the first time around, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and we'll and we'll talk. We'll do an episode about the XFL. I have a feeling because I have some thoughts about what it means for the NFL and things like that. Um, the little bit I saw is interesting. They've got some interesting rule changes and stuff like that that I'm excited to see what they do with it. Um, but yeah, I think we we are not devoid of football totally until August, which is good. So. We'll, <laughs> We'll see how it goes. And we got the draft and stuff coming up, um, which, you know, I guess this is a good time to talk about it because the draft will probably be one of our episodes is, you know, we, we do want to cover the NBA and talk about the NBA on this show as much as we can. Um, but Kimson and I have both kind of, it's been a little bit of a different year for, I think both of us. Um, me in particular is someone that watches, used to watch, you know, I'd come home from work or school and I'd watch basketball. You know, it's what I would do. I just watch NBA games. Well, I've started doing jujitsu and things have changed. So it's harder for me to watch games every single night and really get a sense of everything that's going on by watching the game. You know, I can listen to podcasts and check box scores, but that's not really the same as having sat down and watched all the games. So I think for us going forward, what we're going to do is we haven't come up with a name for it um, yet we're going to work on it, but we're going to start doing a series of episodes. That's basically breaking down the fundamental pieces of different sports, 
having conversations about how to improve them, um, about even if they're necessary. And I think the draft is one that we're definitely, I don't know if it'll be the first one. Um, we haven't quite figured out which one we're going to start with next week, but the draft is going to be an episode where we really take a hard look at the NFL draft um, in terms of how it works, uh, in terms of if it's good or not. I'm actually someone that kind of is starting to lean more in the direction of we should abolish the NFL draft because it's a poor um, it's a poor way to distribute resources in terms of player talent. So we're going to kind of here in the next couple of weeks, you're going to start seeing some different episodes from us picking apart different pieces of the sporting world around us and kind of putting them back together in a way that would hopefully not only improve the leagues and our sporting experience, um, but be better for competitive balance as well. Um, so we'll have kind of more on that coming up here starting next week when we've kind of had some time to pick out a topic and really come prepared to kind of hammer it out and turn it into something special. Yeah, I, I think we hope to have some thoughtful discussion about certain issues, and then there are other kind of rants that we want to go on that, that can be kind of fun as well. So, yeah, I'm excited to kind of kind of see where, where we go from here. And, um, yeah, I mean, as far as basketball and NBA is concerned, like that's the sport I played the most growing up as far as like organized sports like – as a kid, but, um, yeah, I, I've always, I don't know it. And maybe this makes me a bad fan and that's, that's fine. Whatever. Like other people can have opinions, but, um, I've, especially with the NBA, it seems like, and kind of like with March madness for a lot of people, I just wait until the postseason <laughs> to pay super close attention. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how I've been with, with basketball for most of my life. So it's not that the, it's not that we're never going to talk about actual like games that are happening in the NBA. Like once the playoffs get closer, we'll probably dive into that a little bit and stuff. And it, it it's going to be fun either way. Um, so yeah, hopefully we have some, some thoughtful discussion of, of some unique topics and all, obviously we're going to, we're going to get into some like X's and O's like, or not X's and O's, but like just stuff that's actually happening on the court, on the field, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I'm excited going forward and excited for us to work behind the scenes and, and come to you guys with, uh, what we end up with. Yeah. And I'm really excited just because I, as, as a sports fan for me, it's become a lot of like, I really think that like when we set out to do this podcast and this is maybe a little bit of a peek behind the curtain was, you know, Kempson and I really have uh, interesting, like, especially if you ever get the two of us in a room together where we're not talking over the phone and we just start BSing about sports, it's got its own vibe to it. Um, it's a lot of ridiculous comments. It's a lot of, you know, stuff that really sets us apart from a lot of what's going on in the, in the broader conversation about sports. And when we started this podcast, it was we wanted to do something that's a little different from what you're going to find in other places. Um, and largely I think we're still trying to find some of our groove and getting our witty banter into this podcast. Um, full disclosure. I mean, that's like, that's been one of our biggest struggles is finding a way to, while not being in the same room, make it feel like we're sitting next to each other, having a conversation on the, on a couch, having a beer or something. Um, but one thing that has always been really a, a really important part of our friendship and our conversation has been our our ability to intelligently challenge what's going on um, and intelligently, you know, not accept things at face value. And I think that's going to be the really interesting thing 
about this these this this next series of episodes that we do I think really has an opportunity to be something pretty special and be different than anything else that's out there because we're going to be talking about stuff like you know like should we get rid of the NFL draft should what should we do with salary caps you know how should the NBA organize a midseason tournament and really develop ideas on how on how to fundamentally alter how we view and, and, and consume sports. And I think in a way that would be is going to provide for some really thoughtful, interesting discussion. Um, and we're going to do our best to make it fun. I know we're going to have some disagreements about some stuff, which I think is going to be really exciting because, you know, I don't want this to turn into first take and I don't think you do either, but at the same time, I think there's, there's a chance here to have actual thoughtful debate over things that isn't just, you know, mindlessly yelling at things a la Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I That's part of why I don't really frequently watch those shows is because I just feel like they end up yelling at each other with the most ridiculous takes that you can just find on the internet if you just scroll through Twitter for five minutes. So I just, I don't know how, maybe that's exactly how those shows are still around is because they just take the... They that's kind of their recipe for it. But anyway, uh, as far as what we want to do, it's good. I think it is going to be going to be fun, especially once we can actually put some thought into how we want to attack each of the topics that we come up with and things like that. And yeah, I I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, the more you talked about it, even off, uh, before we recorded and while we're recording, it, it sounds like something that could be really, really a lot of fun. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Intrigued. Whoever listens to this, I mean, we, we need to get a handle on that pretty quick, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed uh, this episode and we're excited to bring you some more semi random stuff come, going forward. And Roger Craig should be a hall of famer. I'm just really excited because a lot of this stuff, I, some of this stuff in particular, like I, I keep going back to the NFL draft and salary caps is like I took a class on some of this stuff in college and fundamentally started to really shift how I, th- I, I think and see a lot of that stuff. And I'm really excited to finally get to kind of put some of that in out there in a way that I think it will be really interesting. Um and, you know, as always, you know, um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Semi-Athletes. You'll find initial and official announcements and it can inject the new episodes directly into your digital veins. Um, I think what we should try, we're going to try and do as well is start before the, before the new episodes are recorded when we're picking out a topic. So say we're talking about, you know, the NFL draft and draft reform or, you know, even getting fundamentally rid of it. We're going to put it out there and we're going to try and use it as a way to solicit feedback and comments from all of our listeners out there and get some interesting challenge and have thoughts out there. So it's not just us bloviating into the digital atmosphere as well. Um, And, you know, it's always that, you know, Kempson and I are pretty good friends. So it's one of those things, too, where we want to avoid the groupthink thing as well. So if there's other opinions out there, we want to hear them. So um, be keeping an eye out for the Twitter and Facebook feeds for official announcements on what's coming next um, and where you can inject the new episode directly into your digital veins. New episodes will drop on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and basically wherever podcasts are found, you can probably find us. Just snag the RSS feed and plug it right in and you're right off to the races. 
As always, this podcast is available for free and worth every single penny and every single second of your time, I hope. So please subscribe, review. We always appreciate your feedback. You can send questions, comments, and metaphysical speculation to semiathlete at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. As always, we hope it didn't hurt. And may all your dunks be rimjected. ejected.